Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Are ghosts, UFOs, poltergeists, and other phenomena really what they appear to be? Why do they sometimes overlap during a case? Are our own concepts of the, su- of the supernatural too narrow? Hello and welcome to the 731st edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON 1240 Radio, our 10th year on the air. I'm Ben and those broad-minded questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and father, Paul. And uh, today we bring you a frequent and popular guest on questions that irk, well, really, any thinking researcher. And uh, we welcome your calls. Numbers are 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, or 401-766-1240 locally. Kathleen Martin, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> hmm. It's the weather. Okay, yeah, I'm under it. Kathleen Martin is a leading researcher of contact with non-human intelligence, an author and lecturer. Her educational background in the social sciences shaped her her interest in scientific ufology. Extensive research and investigation into alien abduction has convinced her that some abductions are real. Kathleen holds a bachelor's degree in social work from the University of New Hampshire, did graduate studies in education while working as a teacher and education services coordinator. Her interest in UFOs dates back to September 20th, 1961, when her aunt, Betty Hill, telephoned Kathleen's childhood home to report that she and husband, Barney, had encountered a flying saucer in New Hampshire's White Mountains. A primary witness to the evidence of the UFO encounter in the aftermath, she is the uh, the world's leading expert on the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case. Kathleen is associated with the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, as its Director of Experience or Research, and the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters, as an advisory board member and consultant to its research subcommittee. Kathleen has written three books with nuclear physicist, scientific ufologist Stanton Friedman, uh, Captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, Science Was Wrong, and Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers, and one book, The Alien Abduction Files, with researcher Denise Stoner. She has authored many articles and essays as well. Kathleen appears widely in the media, including the Discovery History H2 National Geographic and Destination America channels on several documentaries, news shows, and radio broadcasts. To find out more and find Kathleen's books, uh, check Kathleen-Marden.com. So Kathleen Marden, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thanks. It's great to be back with you again. Oh, well, it's uh, great to have you. So in okay. in 2012, uh, you headed an extensive research project with Denise Stoner to uh, find little-known uh, com- uh, commonalities among experiencers. So how did the project work, and uh, what did you find? Well, it was a small study. We had uh, 50 participants who stated that they were experiencers, and some of these individuals actually had had uh, their pro- very prominent cases investigated so uh, and had been certified as abductees. Uh, we had a 25-person control group, and so we advertised through the Mutual UFO Network, through radio shows that uh, she and I had appeared on, and, uh, and also with Denise's support group in, here in Florida. So uh, we had... 50 individuals who uh, participated, and we asked 45 questions. In the end, 23 commonalities were identified among experiencers. 
that were not common among the general population or the control group. And one of the questions that we asked that I found fascinating was, have you observed paranormal activity in your home that you believe is related to your abduction experience? 88% of the experiencers in our study stated that they had. Hmm. 88%. Yeah, that's that's a pretty pretty extensive number. So what were these 23 uh, commonalities? Well, <laughs> I'm not going to list all 23 here, but... Oh, but what, what, uh, were the, what were the, the biggest ones that stood <laughs> yeah. out, I guess? Well, one of the things that we were looking for is, was this all related to sleep paralysis or hypnopompic hallucinations? And uh, what we discovered is that uh, the majority of the individuals who participated in this particular study uh, had had one experience where they were in an external environment, either driving their car, hunting, fishing, camping. They were awake. They had witnesses. Uh, and then these abductions occurred in their homes after that. So I think that that was one major finding that we had. The majority had also had close encounters with a UFO at less than a 1,000 feet in the distance, and many of them had observed non-human entities looking down at them, uh, and often this resulted in a contact experience after this occurred. Uh, we also asked questions that would let us know if these people have seemed well-adjusted, if they had a stable childhood, if they felt stable in their adult lives. And uh, we were able to determine that uh, the majority of the participants had had stable lives. Hmm. When these experiences occurred, for, for, for example, well, actually, why don't we begin with, Kathy, you giving us a, an example or two of what we might call crossover phenomena. Someone has had an encounter with what is traditionally thought of as an alien craft and or being, and things that would not usually be associated with the UFOs continued to sort of began to occur in their homes, that sort of thing. Can you give us a few examples of that? Oh, I would be happy to. There's one very large case that I spoke about at the Exeter, New Hampshire uh, UFO Festival, in September, and it involved uh, a, a pilot who was a commercial pilot who owned an airport in Texas, yep. and uh, in two, 2010, he had 29 years' experience uh, as a pilot, but he'd never had a UFO sighting and really had no interest in UFOs, but uh, he heard some noise on his runway one night, he he was working in the hangar. He walked outside to see what was going on, and there were a bunch of people standing out there pointing to the sky and, and pointing to two objects that uh, were different than anything he, as a pilot, had ever seen. He said they uh, had very intense white lights, and there seemed to be many, many lights on them. Uh, he became fascinated with UFOs after that, and he tried to do things to make contact. 
He uh, set up powerful lights that didn't seem to work very well. He used small lasers, and that didn't work very well. But then he ended up um, building like a landing area uh, with uh, red, like Christmas lights attached to uh, two-by-fours, and then a giant X in green, thinking that he could signal them to land that wasn't very successful either, but finally he purchased some very powerful laser pointers. And when he saw something in the sky, he hit it with the laser pointer, and it immediately came in his direction very rapidly. His airport was, I should say, in a fairly desolate area. It was a couple of miles from town, uh, surrounded by timber company land and also tribal land. So, uh, yeah, the tribal land especially in my mind because uh, the, the story that evolved and developed was pretty horrifying. Um, he, yeah. made, uh, he finally made contact, and these crafts started coming in on a fairly regular basis as he tried to attract them. And uh, he thought that, he was going to be able to sit down and have a conversation with these non-human entities and find out all about them and what planet they were from and why they were here, etc. But uh, as these came in closer and closer, they started to land, not frequently. He only had two. That uh, they weren't, and they really didn't sit on the ground. They hovered directly above the ground. Um, at the airport, and he uh, actually called for a MUFON investigation, and a, uh, an investigator came in and had a close encounter with the non, an unconventional craft that came fairly low, and uh, so this brought uh, larger teams of MUFON investigators in, and then things uh, started to develop in a way that uh, he was not very happy about. He woke up in the middle of the night, one night, in November of 2010. He was uh, decided to call his sister who was working overseas. He hung up the phone, and then he walked to uh, the, the door that led from his apartment uh, down into his office in the hangar. And he opened the door, and there standing in front of him were three small entities, three and a half to four feet tall. He said they were robotic-looking. They had white skin, and they were dressed in these very unusual silver suits. They had, like, high collars, almost like a button-down collar that stood up, but it, there was no button. It was a silver suit, a jacket, and trousers, and he said that the boat, their boots looked like roper cowboy boots, roper style. And, and you know, that's fairly unusual for uh, a description of a gray. It, it uh, has been reported in our, uh, some of our historical cases, but not many. Uh, he said that when, they, when he opened the door, they turned toward him just like a 
swinging gait. They moved all at once and just rotated toward him. He then saw another taller entity. It was about six feet tall at least. It was standing over by one of the walls, and uh, it had tan-colored skin like bark tan, he said. He said that the eyes were very large, uh, almost as if there were two softballs for eyes that were protruding from its head. And so this is very, very strange, too. This is not your typical UFO-type entity. And so that kind of raised some red flags with me about what might be going on here, but I'm an open-minded researcher, and I uh, wanted to hear yes, you are. Yeah. more. And so, you know, I received more and more reports, and then all of a sudden uh, he, he was writing that he became uh, so distressed by what was going on that he started shooting at them. And he knew that some of these UFOs were solid, metallic, uh, objects because he could hear the bullets ping off them. But then there was another type that was like shaped like a sort of a farmer's hat or a, a small sombrero of sorts uh, that he would shoot at and the bullets would not ping. And this type of craft would simply dive down into the ground and disappear. This was something unusual, too. And then he started to see ghosts. Two women had died in separate crashes at that airport. He knew that. And they were female and were wearing uh, attire dating back to the 40s or 50s. One of them was holding a baby and, and crying just hysterically. He, and more and more of these highly unusual things started to happen. He had a time slip. And I tell you, his family began to question his sanity. Mm-hmm. He was questioning his own sanity at that point as well. Um, and his mother went and stayed at his apartment uh, so that he could try to prove to her that he wasn't crazy. And she also had a sighting that night. Uh, his, he had friends that I've spoken to and relatives that I've spoken to that had, were aware of and have, had observed some of this evidence. Uh, he was able to capture uh, a photograph of a shadow being that looked, uh, it had kind of a heart-shaped head. It made me wonder if it might have been some kind of an insectoid non-human entity. Uh, he uh, was being taken by these beings over and over again. He went on to the, this is before he contacted me, he was trying to make this end. He went on to the internet and ended up sleeping in a small room. He had covered the window with a board. Uh, he put powder all over the floor by the bed so that he could detect any activity that occurred in that room at night when he was sleeping. And he uh, handcuffed himself to a chain 
and bolted the chain to the wall. That was the only way he was able to sleep at night. Uh, I, I felt so sorry for him reading the, the extent that he went to to prevent this from happening. Uh, one night when he was sleeping in his own room, an entity entered, and at this point he was sleeping with his Glock uh, 17 in his hand with a round in the chamber. Not the safest and thing to do. No, no, it's not <laughs> safe at all. But uh, he, he awoke, he was paralyzed. As I was reading this, I was immediately thinking, oh, he has sleep paralysis. But then he told me more. He, uh, he was able finally to raise the gun and to point it at this entity who was, like, tall, again, bark-colored, but had different eyes from the first one I described. He squeezed the trigger and hit this entity mid-center, and it just disappeared in a huge flash of blue light. Uh, he oh. immediately got out of bed, and he looked around, and uh, he saw this yellow substance, like fluid, all over the foot of his bed and on the floor. So that told him that something was there. Unfortunately, he did not collect a sample. And by the time I was speaking with him, uh, he had already moved away from the airport. He finally fled, uh, losing uh, or taking the risk of losing everything uh, in order to get out of there. His health was failing, all sorts of uh, almost demonic activity was occurring there as well. It made me wonder what exactly was going on. Uh, I, there appears initially to have been some UFO activity. I can't say for certain that it really was UFO activity or if it was some kind of interdimensional negative entities that were uh, masquerading as non-human uh, extraterrestrial Entities. I really don't know, but it was. It's a fascinating and highly perplexing case. Indeed, uh, it is. With, and uh, with, yeah, yeah. Well, well, and you. Um, we consult with you now and then on cases like this, uh, just to put in our two cents. And uh, I was impressed by photographs uh, from that case as well. And uh, the man did end up dying. Yes, he did. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, we did a little ground, as, as you know, uh, we, we did a little inquiring around that area, and uh, nobody's talking. Uh, yeah. We had a professor, uh, an old childhood friend of mine from Austin, Texas, uh, who had uh, family connections in the area, and, oh, well, I'll set up, you know, some stuff for you. I was clammed up. All of a sudden, nothing. And, you know, maybe that's a coincidence, but I, I don't know. It's just everything about this case and many others like it is, is really strange. Um, and here's where some of our experience comes in from the other end of it, and that's that, um, as you say, the uh, masquerading. In other words, you, you can never assume that anything in the paranormal in general is what it appears to be. And uh, you have these uh, entities, if that's what they are, being what you want them to be. Kind of, you know, and we've had cases where we'll go in and, you know, um, Uncle So-and-so is haunting the house, you know, and the family's convinced that it's him, it must be him. 
But then it doesn't feel right. We say, well, we don't believe your uncle so-and-so. Everything changes. You know? mm-hmm. it's, like, it's like a, a mimic in nature. It really is part of nature too. So, so that uh, th- that's where we started to um, get together with you to look at some of these cases and to uh, uh, look further into other possibilities than what it appears to be. Yes, absolutely. And I was able to more recently co- contact his aunt, and I uh, had a conversation with her, and and uh, she told me that she was a witness to this as well. So I have several witnesses that I've spoken with at this point who confirm that this actually was happening, that it was not a product of his imagination. Yeah. Can you uh, cite some other cases that uh, you've run into that uh, appeared to be, particularly in, in the wake of abduction experiences, and then other things started to happen that would not classically be related to that? Well, yes, I have another abduction that. Uh, case that I have investigated over many years, uh, probably the best past seven or eight years, uh, up in Canada. And uh, the witness had a close encounter with a UFO. It came within 500 feet of him. He, had, he observed it for several minutes. And then he uh, got in touch with me uh, not that long at, thereafter and told me that he had something that had come into his house, into his room. He had uh, sent me a lot of evidence, including a photograph of a Y-shaped cut on the top of his head. Now, I've seen this in two other cases. He had what appeared to have been an incision near his groin that had not been there, and it felt like, a node had been removed. He went to the doctor about this. He had uh, bilateral black and blue marks on his upper arms as if something had held him very tightly and maybe he was struggling to get away. The shirt that he was wearing uh, was, uh, he he found himself uh, wearing it inside out and backwards, which was very, very uncomfortable for him. He never would have put it on that way. Uh, that was another thing. Uh, he was able to capture on uh, his audio recorder on his cell phone somehow the sounds of like chattering and like zipping noises. He found uh, a little uh, uh, round object in the near just above his wrist, between his wrist and his elbow. And he started to wonder about what was going on there. Did he have an implant? It didn't move. Many of the these that uh, experiences receive end up traveling up their arms and then disappear into their bodies. But this one didn't. And so he ended up having it removed by his physician and had it sent to uh, MUFON, following MUFON protocols, and then it went to our scientific laboratory and uh, for analysis. And by the time it arrived at the scientific laboratory, there was nothing in the bottle, which was <laughs> preserved in his bodily <coughs> fluid. Yeah. And we yeah. had this happen shortly thereafter in another case where the state director said, we have to expedite this and not follow MUFON protocols 
ASAP because this is disappearing before my very eyes. Um, then the experiencer wrote to me and uh, was sending me uh, photographs of, of orbs, these lighted orbs floating through his home. Uh, his uh, doors were opening and closing. Uh, there were a lot of uh, there was a lot of like paranormal activity going on in his house, and also uh, he experienced the sensation of movement on his mattress, uh, such as the feeling that something unseen was walking on his bed, and uh, that was that was very interesting to me because I had actually had that experience when I was staying at my mother's home many years ago uh, with my first husband, even before I had children. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, we were sleeping in her bed at night, and we felt what we thought was the cat walking on the mattress. It, uh, it wasn't walking on the mattress. It wasn't in the bedroom at all. And my mother said that was fairly common for her. Huh. Um, but that's just an aside. I can tell you about the things in my childhood home uh, later, if you want, but let's, yeah. let's well, we can get into deviate. that. We're going to take our bottom of the hour break now. Uh, we're speaking with <laughs> Kathleen Marden, a fascinating uh, discussion about crossover phenomena. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Dave Koz inviting you to listen in this weekend for a very special edition of the Dave Koz Radio Show as we salute the singers in our vocal spotlight special. Remember to visit DaveKoz.com for all the details and listen this weekend to a very special edition of the Dave Koz Radio Show. Hi, fans of smooth jazz. The Dave Koz Radio Show can only be heard on ON1240 WON, One Socket Radio, every Sunday. And it's twice on Sundays, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. and 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. The Dave Koz Radio Show is brought to you by the Carew Investment Group. It's the Dave Koz Radio Show right here on ON Radio. And we are back behind the paranormal with our wonderful guest, Kathy Martin. Uh, and we are going to talk about some of the charities we have adopted, but we'll do that in the announcement period at the end of the show. Uh, we would like to get back to our discussion with Kathy. And as a matter of fact, uh, before we burn up the hour, I want to give her a chance to talk about her website and her books and what else is cooking in the world of Kathleen Martin. <laughs> well, my website is kathleen Marden, M-A-R-D-E-N, dot com. Uh, you can purchase autographed copies of my four books uh, there on, at my store with pay, using PayPal. Uh, I also have a list of the conferences that I'll be speaking at in 2018. Uh, I will be in Exeter, New Hampshire again. That's the, the big one in New England that I'll be speaking at. Our favorite event of the year. Yes. So it's a great event. It's so nice. And you know, I grew up in that area, so it's just great to mm-hmm. be back there to visit. I've also been extremely busy working on a new book for experiencers, uh, the Experiencers Handbook that will be released in July. Oh, we'll and, have you back to talk about that. Yes, and, and also on a major study on experiencers, 
that I have been doing with Dr. Don C. Don Derry, who is a retired professor from McGill University in Montreal and a statistician as well. He, uh, along with Bud Hopkins and uh, Ted Davis, worked on uh, an experiencer, or they called it uh, a UFO abduction survey. Uh, and, and then they named it the uh, American Personality Inventory. And what it does is identifies uh, who has UFO abduction syndrome. So uh, a certain uh, percentage of the 569 individuals so far who have participated in our MUFON study have uh, UFO abduction syndrome, and we are comparing the uh, responses of those who generally took the survey, those who have UFO abduction syndrome, and those that we consider to be contactees who are having more positive contact uh, with non-human entities. So it's quite an extensive study. I will be presenting all of this uh, at MUFON Symposium in New Jersey. It's going to be in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, hmm. in July of this year. You can read about it uh, on MUFON's website and also on my webpage uh, uh, where I speak about my events. But uh, I would like to share some of our early statistics with you. Please. Uh, if you'd like to hear them. We asked uh, of uh, the 569 people, uh, have you had paranormal activity in your home that you believe is related to contact? Of that, 68% answered that they had. So it's down from the 88% in the small survey that Denise Stoner and I conducted. Well, we said, how about motion in your mattress? Overall, 60% said they had felt that. But wow. of the UFO abductees who have... Uh, the syndrome, 75% stated that they had experienced that. How about light orbs? Uh, 61% of uh, the general survey takers said they had it. Uh, that's 68% for a freeze study. But 90, not, not 95% for the contactees in MUFON's study as opposed to the abductees of the survey takers. Uh, I hope I'm not confusing people. Um, other things that people mentioned is uh, about 25 to 30% had appliances that just start and stop on their own without uh, being able to identify any electrical problems. Uh, 22% to 35%, depending on who it was, what group, said that they have had things fly off shelves in their home. 22% said they have doors and windows that open and close. I don't have statistics on shadow entities, but many said that they had observed shadow entities. We have you back in July. I'm going to come armed with our statistics from the okay. other end. You know, percentage people who've in paranormal cases that are supposed to be ghosts and they have encountered UFOs. And I think that would be tremendously interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. I should have. Matter of fact, I should have shared those with you a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, better now than never, I guess. That's it. Better late than never. Kathy, when you when you refer to uh, the UFO abduction syndrome, would that be the same as what would traditionally be known as repeaters? People who have repeated encounters, perhaps with the same entities. What? Not necessarily. Okay. Uh, we found that the many of the experiencers who participated in our study had uh, one experience, two to four experiences, or five to nine. That that took up the majority. So I was very surprised, like that, uh, uh, by those statistics because. Uh, there's been so much publicity given to repeaters. Yes, indeed. Uh, so, uh, no, so go let ahead. Me tell you, I can tell you about abduction syndrome. Uh, when you take this test, and I have taken it, uh, you uh, are completely unable to to play with this, to, to try to... Uh, manipulate the answers or, or psych this out or anything else. Uh, it started out with 665 questions. It now is down to 65 questions. Uh, but it identifies certain uh, emotional and psychological characteristics and also certain uh, physical characteristics and experiential characteristics. And based upon those, uh, you can identify individuals who have UFO abduction syndrome. So uh, it's, it's people who generally are experiencing some anxiety, maybe post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. There are several chilling Concepts that we have, I think we've discussed them with you separately uh, off the air uh, from time to time, but w we don't believe that people just sit there like lumps and things happen to them. We believe that in particularly phenomena like this, uh, people bring their own unique stamp to the experience. They participate in it, even if it's unconsciously. So as a result, uh, I'm thinking of... Um, the, the uniqueness of some entities people will see. Uh, and I'm thinking, too, of, okay, well, what's coming from the other end? Uh, what sort of entities, if any, are behind some of these things? And what is the purpose of it? Probably the darkest, most chilling possibility that we can conceive of, I don't even like to talk about it, is that we are a cattle race, for lack of a better term, that are, are being farmed for food purposes, not necessarily physical food, but energy purposes that might be, you know, this sounds pretty goofy, but I mean, when you look at, at some of the, the things that go on, uh, these things, at least in our experience, are feeding off of us, at least in many cases. In some cases, yes. Yeah. And, uh, about 10% about of the people who participated in the MUFON study said that they felt evil from this presence, and, yeah. and that's the kind of thing that... Uh, would generate that kind of response. And wh what to us in, in our evolutionary uh, point of view would be evil. It would be something that threatens our welfare, something that threatens our existence and something that, that is, a th is, is essentially a threat. And uh, these things would be. Now, I think it's difficult to believe that all UFO experiences or encounters or, or uh, interactions are, are are based on this. Uh, and uh, as our friend Stanton Friedman would say, I mean, you certainly have... Um, 
visitors from other planets, or even if they're getting here by way of other uh, dimensions, or whatever, however you want to describe it. But some of them at least do seem to be really negative. Um, ben, you have any thoughts on this? You want to ask Kathy? Uh, no, let's see what Kathy has to say first. All right. Well, uh, yes, some are extremely negative. I'm not certain that these are even people coming here from other planets. Why would some highly evolved, technologically advanced civilization come here to feed off from human negativity, fear, uh, and loathing? And uh, so much of that sounds interdimensional to me, like yeah. interdimensional entities from uh, our own Earth consciousness that have manifested and maybe from the human consciousness of the of the individual that have manifested here and feed off that negative energy. That's my theory anyway. Yeah, no, we uh, tend to agree. Uh, do you think these things respond to what we expect them to be as when they manifest? Uh, not necessarily. Okay. I think that some do because I, be, I think that uh, human consciousness, uh, if it's powerful enough, can manifest physical entities. But, uh, you know, on the other side of that, we have reports of highly evolved, highly spiritual beings that almost seem like religious figures who are coming back. Uh -huh. I mean, some of this appears to be uh, a battle between good and evil. Um, and might, it might even herald the second coming of a messiah or third or fourth or whatever but uh, but other another part of this appears to be technological uh, metallic uh, appears to have sentient beings involved sometimes robotic type beings as well and so I think there are a number of different things going on and I think there's a lot of confusion about yeah. what is occurring and so many people want to lump it all into one basket. Very true. Yeah, yeah. yeah th there does seem to be uh, a community of life, uh, of which we're only a small part, and we don't understand when we see impingements upon our own existence from it. So uh, we have a very narrow paradigm. Well, yeah, we have we have a frame of reference that you know only pretty much extends as far as you know, um, I guess ancestral memory as well as you know pop culture. You know, we all grew up with Star Wars and Star Trek and, you know, all, all of these, these interesting sci-fi things. So it's kind of hard to break outside of that mold to see what's truly going on. Because you, we, yeah. yeah, because we have that frame of reference still. Kathy, do you think that, that um, many of the, uh, some of the archetypes that are present in the human psyche uh, and th that manifest in modern forms, at least according to folklore, as, as, such as aliens... Uh, that, that may uh, we might have previously interpreted as demons or something like this. Do you think that this plays sort of a, a role in the experiences that you've studied? Oh boy! Well, that that's difficult for me to answer. Uh, and there, it, it sort of runs the gamut with the experiences that I've studied. So many of them uh, have seen. You know, three sizes of gray entities. Uh, there are reports of uh, several types of reptilian types, uh, of insectoid types, of human types, uh, some hybrid types. 
Uh, and then a few reports of, of other types such as uh, Sasquatch and little animals and blue avians and sh short squat blues and all whites and, and uh, a lot of reports of, uh, of light beings who just mm. glow uh, almost like you would picture an angel. Uh, and so it, we received many, many reports of many different types of entities, and then some reports of types that are not common as well. You know, it's funny. Uh, there, there seems to be just as much, um, or at least maybe a little more positive uh, energy out there with this stuff as there is negative. And I'm thinking of uh, this really old case at the uh, the herb farm in Connecticut, Ben. You were like six. Oh, yeah. And uh, I would never have taken you on a case, but but when the people called us, they said it is so positive uh, that, you know, you shouldn't be hesitating to bring your son. You also brought a couple of the neighbor kids, A couple too. of the neighbor kids, too. It was like everybody was getting in, getting in on the act. And as I said, you were like six, and you got down there and said, Dad, there are going to be UFOs involved in this case. I said, what? You know, it was like, what do you know? You know, I didn't say that. But, <laughs> but uh, it's sure enough, Ben was right. Uh, and th there didn't seem to be any negativity involved in this, and the people were talking about ley lines coming through, and I don't know what I think about that, but uh, there was even a um, a tower they had built around a PowerPoint, uh, not the software, but a, a point of where there seemed to be some energy coming yes. up out of the ground. And Microsoft it, uh, PowerPoint. People were healed of diseases there. So, yeah. um, And there, there were UFOs, and there were, there were apparently uh, contacts with uh, some uh, grays, things like this, but it was all very positive. So it does kind of throw a monkey wrench into, you know, just when you think you have things figured out, uh, they start to change, you know. It is far more complex than most people realize. And, yes, I've worked on uh, several cases that have been highly positive where healing has taken place. Uh, one of the individuals I've worked with, had an orb, uh, it was captured on video, slide down his wall, fly across the room, dive into his body, and it healed his lymphoma. Wow. It was just incredible. Yet then I've received recent photographs from him uh, of uh, what looked like a uh, beam of light coming down out of the sky, and I could actually see faces in that beam of light. And then he took a photograph of, in the dark, of this uh, little entity at his bedroom door. And I lightened it, and it looked different than any gray that I've ever seen. They're short. It had a, a huge uh, forehead, like ridge line, above its eyes, but pointed ears, these large, like, pixie ears. Almost like the really gray. Hopkins, yeah, Hopkinsville, Kentucky creatures of 1955. Yeah, yeah, but the, the, they they show those as having like these gigantic ears. Right, these, right. Yeah. These were not gigantic ears, they, but they were like little elf or pixie ears. Hmm. Uh, really uh, incredible. Would Would you say that the more positive the attitude and the spirit, if you will, of the person who is experiencing the phenomena, the more positive the phenomenon would be, and Absolutely. vice versa with someone who's negative? Absolutely. Interesting. Um, yes, uh, and I don't know if the experience itself has created uh, this uh, kind of altruistic, uh, high 
feeling attitude and these people uh, who are having these positive experiences or not. I know that some of these people uh, have depended upon these positive entities to come into their lives to help them with struggles they've had through the years. I, I had one case where I, that I investigated where the man had uh, a horrible experience. He was on vacation as a young man in Europe. He, he dove into a lake, and it was shallow, and he ended up uh, fracturing his neck and is quadriplegic. Ouch. But he has this, this wonderful entity that comes into his life. So you have this negative experience, but it sort of turned him around and made him positive. I've talked to other people who have these positive entities who come when they're having problems who, who take care of them. Yeah. Well, perhaps um, our, our term angel and things like that, and, and you and I have both had experiences that are very positive, and my life was saved twice by something I can't explain. Um, but do you feel that um, progress is really being made to explain all this, or, or can it be explained in any, any of our own terms? Well, I have to say that at least we are looking at it in, in an unbiased manner. Uh, and I think that's important because in the past, many UFO uh, investigators wanted to push this aspect of it aside and say that it's definitely not related, we're not going to investigate it, uh, we're going to pretend that it's not real. In fact, uh, I have a quote from Dr. Berthold Schwaz, who was a prominent psychiatrist who studied this phenomena, and he said, even though many UFO researchers try to ignore the psychic component of UFOs, the rejection of this key element will only contribute to the continuing confusion that it surrounds the phenomenon. And so, you know, and he was right on with that. I'll we say. will never understand this unless we are look, willing to look at and evaluate uh, objectively everything that is occurring. Certainly agree. That, that, that's very well put. I've never heard that quote before. So would you say, uh, well, actually, what, what are you working on, if you can talk about it, right now that would, that would be uh, considered a crossover case such as we've been talking about? What, what's your most recent one? Oh, actually, we have, before you answer that, we have a question last <laughs> minute here from a listener. Um, okay, Ben, if you want to check. This is from uh, Phil in Orange, Massachusetts. Uh, I was waiting for Phil. Who has, I believe has heard you speak at some of the conferences in uh, New England here. Alrighty, so oh. Phil writes to us, uh, does your guest think uh, the time is ripe for a researcher such as herself to curate and describe the incidents which are not common uh, to uh, other most uh, or other experiencers? These incidents can include the phenomenon labeled as high strangeness, uh, but not exclusive. Uh, for example, Ed Walters was vilified as a hoaxer, uh, but his book, which... Uh, predates the internet and easy access to abduction accounts, wrote of hearing a crying baby in his head while uh, he was uh, purportedly abducted. 
uh, abducted, I should say. Uh, I believe this hallucination. I believe this hallucination, if that is what it is, occurs only rarely among experiencers, and I, I feel more people should know about uh, high strangeness to gradually accept the possibility that these reports may well uh, be real and uh, directed by an outside intelligence. There you yes, have. and I, I, I have labeled what I do as the study of high strangeness pertaining to uh, contact. So, yeah, that, that is what interests me. And, in fact, I became very interested in this because after a UFO landed on my grandparents' farm, and it was observed by my grandmother and a neighbor of ours who was a commercial pilot uh, returning home from work, we started to have this kind of activity in my childhood home. Uh, I was, at that point, 17, 18 years old and you know, eventually went off to college, and it was still continuing. I'd go home and hear about it. And I had never connected it to that UFO landing until 2012 when Denise and I discovered that this uh, appeared to be related to contact. Hmm. And so uh, let me give you an example of some of the things that happened. We, were ha- we saw light orbs floating around in the air. I didn't see them at that time, but years later when I was staying with my mother, with my two little boys at the time, my, my son who was four or five was wreaking havoc in his bedroom one night. I got out of bed and, and uh, opened his door and there he was, pacing around one of these light orbs, having a great time with it. <laughs> and that thing, it seemed to be having a great time with him. Hmm. Uh, also, uh, back in that, uh, in the early years when I was in college, uh, I took a boyfriend home for the weekend. Uh, and he was staying in my brother's room. My brother was off in the army at the time. And we were going fishing with my parents the next morning. And during the middle of the night, we were all awakened by his shouts. And what we found out is the coat hangers had lifted out of my brother's closet and somehow had been flung across the room and landed on top of him. Uh, It scared the living daylights out of him, and he didn't want to go back into that house. That night, and I have to say, it was not great for our relationship. Uh, no, <laughs> I guess that's why you never married him. <laughs> anyway. No, that's true. <laughs> okay, Kathy, wonderful conversation. We're just about out of time, uh, but we're going to be promoting the Exeter Conference uh, this year, the Exeter UFO Festival, uh, one of our favorite events. Uh, we're speakers too. We all look forward to getting together uh, with Kathy. And um, give us your website one more time, please. It's Kathleen Dash. Marden, M-A-R-D-E-N, dot com. Very good. Kathy, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, great talking to you again. Okay. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. Uh, this is not in the script, but I wanted to thank Dennis Stone, for, who's been on the show before, from America's Stonehenge in, uh, North, in the Salem, New Hampshire. It's just, we had a wonderful, wonderful time there yesterday with our film crew, uh, working on a, um, a uh, rather ambitious production on uh, archaeoastronomy and, and that site and the paranormal connections of the site, uh, which uh, we hope will be up in a few months. Ben, you're the sound guy. And well, we've got a lot more work to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got, we have, we have a lot of work we have. 
have to do. We, we were barely scratching the surface yesterday. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So uh, looking forward to that. But thank you very much, Dennis. Uh, tremendous experience. And he gave us his whole day uh, with his lifetime of experience at that site, where he actually grew up. Three generations of his family have owned it. And uh, check it out. You know, America's Stonehenge in Salem, New Hampshire. Just a tremendous place to visit. So anyway, uh, I'm about to, uh, this is the first time I've said this, about to sign a contract with Schiffer Books for a ponderous new tome, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, and Parallel Worlds. How's that alliteration there, Beth? It's great. Okay, the main title might sound familiar because since 2009 I've been planning a book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, What Ghosts Have to Say About God, but that material will be combined with a greater body of material in the new book. Uh, now, um, I w- we will not have a joint byline on this one because Ben uh, was not born when all this stuff happened, no. so uh, he's sitting this one out. So what else we what we get uh, coming up there, Ben? Alrighty, so on uh, May 26th and 27th, you can meet us at the Saucer Symposium at the KRI uh, Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratham, New Hampshire, and there will be some great speakers, including Shane Searway, uh, Andy Kitt, and many others uh, you've heard on this show before, and we'll do a live broadcast from there on the 27th with a panel of the speakers. For more information about those dates approaching, you can check out our show website. Okay. And uh, there are a lot of books you can get from us. Uh, Gift-giving time is always here. You may have uh, some weird uh, person who has a birthday or someone you care about very much who's very strange, and uh, they would love our books. Uh, The books are widely available. Uh, Our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is in stores. Uh, But there are also a number of others. Uh, You can get them online at our two websites, BehindTheParanormal.com or NewEnglandGhosts.com, the bookstore there, and we'll be happy to sign them for you. Uh, Books include, as I say, the one I just mentioned, uh, and available in stores, and then there's the most recent, Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, currently available from online retailers and Amazon.com and Kindle, etc. Also available are books I wrote myself in Days of Yore, uh, Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, about cases from the 60s and, I should, the 70s and 80s, I should say, along with Turning Home, God Ghosts, and Human Destiny, with a few more cases and a broad look at what the paranormal might really mean. Uh, and of course, there's also Rhode Island, a genial history. Our local audience might be interested in that, written by me and uh, the late to great TV reporter Glenn Laxton, an excellent historian as well. So, um, so that's not the only reason to visit our uh, show website. Uh, you can also, um, Go there for many other reasons, such as finding our, our shows and seeing our many cases over the years of public appearances, and you'll find over 750 free recorded shows from both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And if you dare, you can check out our YouTube channel, which soon will be uh, having some more uh, interesting content going up there related to our uh, recent trip to America's Stonehenge, and that's uh, YouTube, uh, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on there. Okay, so what do we got next week, Ben? So next Sunday, March 4th, uh, we'll have uh, uh, John D'Souza back, former FBI agent, who dealt with some pretty weird cases, almost like a real-life Fox Mulder. Yeah, his uh, his last show with us disappeared. So it, it was very frustrating, but we're going to dub- double up on this one to make sure that, that that's it. Anyway, uh, we don't have time for a quote, I guess. So we'll have to leave it for next week. But anyway, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.